0: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: Hello, my name's Jess Phillips and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them, someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever live recording of the podcast here in Birmingham. So, I am going to welcome to the stage my guest for today's episode of the podcast, who is uh, an absolutely brilliant woman who I love very, very dearly. Today, I will be interviewing Sally Hughes. Sally is a journalist, writer, and broadcaster. She released her book, Everything Is Washable. Today, I'm excited to speak to her about the people who mean the most to her. Please welcome to the stage, Sally Hughes. Hello, darling. Welcome to Birmingham.
2: Hello. It's nice to
1: have you here.
2: It's nice uh, to be here.
1: Last time we were together, we were in London, weren't we? Neither of us is a uh, resident in London or from London, so no. it's nice for you to come to my hometown today.
2: It's really, really nice. I always like coming here.
1: It's it's a lovely place. So, uh, first and foremost, this is the Birmingham Literature Festival as well. So, your new it was only, it's only come out like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: I think it's it like the fifteenth. It came out. A couple of days after the Queen died, I don't recommend launching a book in that week necessarily, it um, it wasn't brilliantly planned, Um, but yeah, it decided to go ahead anyway, so I think it came out on the 15th and then I started doing things a few days after that when the funeral was over.
1: Well, I believe that the Queen, uh, from the, I mean, I was about to say, the small amount that I've read about her, I think we all read more about her than we were expecting to and watched an awful lot of television about her. One thing I believe she did like, she might not have referred to it as this, but as life hacks. She was actually quite the advice giver about things like Tupperware and Rissoles.
2: And uh, definitely a very practical person and quite a kind of make-do-and-mend person. Also, I have the honour, which lots of people would think is in irrelevance, but I was quite pleased, One of my books. So I happened to write a book about the Queen. Yes, that's right. It's a weird. It was quite an odd blip in in my output. I was asked to write it because I'd written a column about the fact that I'm not a monarchist or a royalist, but I really liked the Queen. Mm -hmm. And uh, my book about the Queen is. Stocked in the royal bookshops in the houses, so um, I'm quite pleased about that because I think, well, there must be a kind of tacit approval of it if it's for sale there. Yeah,
1: that's right. I mean, I wonder if Meghan and Harry's books are uh, (laughs) available in those shops. Maybe not. But I think the Queen would have appreciated that everything is washable and advice for life. I think that. Yeah. She, you know, she wouldn't have minded that you'd carried on launching it after her death. Oh, I think she probably would have thought not. as well that that Centre parks thing was a bit of an overreaction.
2: I, I said this at the time over the Centre Park thing. I, I think, having whether you liked the Queen or not, having spent a lot of time researching her a few years ago, I know that most of the stuff that was cancelled, the Queen would have said, buck up.
1: Yeah, back yeah. you can still go to Centre Park. London parks. Fashion
2: Week. Centre Parks, yeah, exactly. She yeah. would have said crack on. I yeah,
1: think. I, I think that's the case. So um, so tell us a bit about the book before we, we launch into the letters.
2: So it is a book about kind of everything, really. It, it, it's a book about all the things my friends ask me on the daily. So I'm in a large group of friends. Um, we're all very, very close, and I just happen to be the person who gets asked most of the questions. Mm-hmm. So um, my friends will send me a text and say, I need a black backpack that fits a laptop that doesn't make me look like a student. I go okay, I'll send you some links. Or they say, they send me an old picture of a sofa and they say, what fabric is that? And I'll say, you know, Liberty, 1983 just <laughs> continued four years later only available in satin now kind of thing. And so um, we send these texts back you are and forth. Back Wikipedia? And I am like a, yeah, about certain things. There's obviously loads of things I don't know but I know what my lanes are. And um, I thought... Maybe I'll put it all into a book. I get so many questions, and whenever I post food or something on Instagram, people go, link me the recipe, and I'm like, I don't have a recipe, I just make it. Um, Or where did you get your jeans from? eBay. How do you get cheap jeans on eBay? And so I just shoved it all into one book, and that's what it is.
1: Oh, I mean, I think that's brilliant. I think that the title is brilliant as well, although I have to say I cannot believe that people have ever listened to a single thing that is written on a washing label. Surely everybody just whacks it. I don't even separate the colours.
2: If it's, if it's not leather and it's not suede, I say chuck it in.
1: Yeah? I mean, I, I mean a lot of my clothes are ruined because they've gone grey because I don't separate <laughs> the whites and the colours. I think white T-shirts are single-use anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> I apologise for that. But I cannot not get stuff done. No,
2: I'm quite careful about the laundry. I do like it a certain way. Um, but I, my dry-cleaning bills are basically zero. I don't really get things dry cleaned. I
1: don't own an iron. I oh, know, I do own one, but I don't ever use it. And now, in tum- hardly anything is tumble-durable. That oh, all just shrinks just everything. just put it on
2: low temp, and it's kind of fine, usually. Um, I don't iron ever, because I used to iron for money in the 90s, and it was so soul-destroying. I, could, I just felt like my life slipping away as I was ironing. So I used to iron this uh, banker's shirt. A guy called Peter who worked at a private bank called Citibank, which I'm sure oh, yes. you'll have heard mm-hmm. of. And um, I used to have to iron his shirts once a week. And he wore a shirt to work every day. Then he came home and would change into a leisure shirt. (laughs) That's like when you see Boris Johnson on holiday and he's wearing a shirt. Why is he wearing a shirt on And holiday. then on the weekend he would wear like a chambray shirt, a denim shirt. So he wore at least two shirts a day during the week and then if he had a dinner he'd wear like a roughly shirt. Then on the weekend he would wear a casual shirt. So I'd end up with kind of 12 shirts to iron every week and I just thought never ever again. So I have a steamer and I do not
1: iron. Yeah, like one of the, you get them in Lidl. I saw they were selling them in Lidl. My, I told my son. I wanted one for Christmas, and then my husband said, "You can't buy your mum that for Christmas. That's a dreadful <laughs> gift." I wanted it. I had. I planted the seed that I wanted that steamer. I've
2: got an Argos one. It's very good. Okay. Very, very good. Yeah, and it's
1: just like you just like they do in the shops. Yeah.
2: It's yeah. Just go like that. Yeah. You put it on the kind of this sort of static coat hanger, and you. Mm. This is good to know.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't understand men who only wear shirts. That's so weird. Like, my mum, my if it's I look madden. at photos of my mum on holiday in, like, the 1950s, like, she has got a school uniform on, because that was, like, the like on the beach, uh, because that was, like, the smart clothes they owned, and my nan insisted on them looking smart. Yeah. So she, but like, that's not the reason Boris Johnson's doing it, is it? Like, Carrie was in, like, a bikini, and then he's there with shorts on, but with, like, a
2: work shirt. It's really peculiar, isn't it? And also, they're not shirts, they're not, like, proper shirts that I used to buy my kids... Uh, for school, where they come out the tumble dryer and they're just perfect, they're just absolutely fine the kind of Georgia Asda ones that just kind of bounce back, they're they're those ones that are like 100% cotton that you have to iron properly, I mean I'm sure Boris Johnson doesn't have an issue getting his shirts ironed, but nonetheless it just it creates quite a stiff impression doesn't it?
1: He wore a shirt jogging. Anyway, I could go on about all the times I've seen Boris Johnson wearing a shirt inappropriately. Um, I could do a whole show about that, uh, but I won't do that now. So we're here to talk about letter writing. Yes. Uh, are
2: you much of a letter writer? So um, I was a big letter writer, but now I'm a big email writer. So if my friends have a difficult letter to send, I will typically write it. Oh really? Yes.
1: Your friends. Oh, are you getting anything back?
2: Yes, yes, loads, absolutely loads. But um, I've had friends where... Um, a toxic ex-boyfriend's been back in touch, and they can't get rid of him. And I've r- written him a very withering um, oh, email, yeah. and she's just put her name at the bottom. Um, I've sent, well, I've written quite a few at stern emails asking for pay rises, for example, and my friends have signed them. I do it quite a lot.
1: Oh, that is good. Yeah. So you're basically like the sort of bad bitch of letter writing, the flame it's out. basically. Yeah. yeah, that Yeah, and
2: um, I like I, it. yeah. Now I am. I, I do like. I do like to sit down and write a lengthy email. Yeah.
1: Do you have any letters uh, like I that? Because I won't do
2: the phone, oh, I hate the phone. I, won't do the I
1: phone. hate the phone. I don't hate it as much as my... Uh, my children don't hate it but they don't know how to use it. So when they come into my office they like play with the phones like they're toys <laughs> because they don't have house phones anymore. And I am worried about the world of work when anyone under the age of 18 has to pick up a phone. My children are like, what is it, this crazy toy? Like they don't talk on the phone.
2: If you ring me, someone had better be dead. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. That,
1: that is like rings. after
2: nine o'clock. After nine
1: o'clock your mum would be like my mum would be like, one minute past nine. Why are you calling? It's like it's just there and she'd be like that are you dead?
2: Yeah. It's very rude to call yeah. after nine o'clock. Yeah. I do, yeah, I hate I absolutely hate the phone. I basically never pick it up. Although the only time I pick it up is when it's I know for a fact it's Catelyn Moran's bum calling. Oh. Me. So her Does it bu- call you a lot? Catelyn's arse calls me a couple times a week. <laughs> and um, I listen to a whole conversation that's usually her, uh, like, washing the dishes or something, and I can hear kind of domestic <laughs> stuff going on. I'm like, your ass has phoned me again. And
1: I, I once, funny. my phone rang, and I was genuinely gossiping, pol- political <laughs> gossip, and my phone rang the political editor of the Sunday Times. Oh,
2: right my now. God. Yeah,
1: luckily, she's also from Birmingham. Uh, and we actually went to playgroup together women 's liberation playgroup Kings Heath uh, and um, she said it's all right Jess, I've deleted it I mean i don't know whether she did but she promised me that she had and i 've never seen any of the stories that I was discussing published but it is dangerous it's yes. a dangerous game but, dull. but
2: then so is writing I think because now if I send if I write an email obviously from me I never type anything that I wouldn't be happy to see posted
1: somewhere. Oh, 100%. First, first rule of politics is learn to count, Liz Dressfeld. She couldn't count the votes. Uh, second rule is don't write anything down. That you're Literally, not happy to see on the internet. That's it. I've tried to teach my kids that, because if you look at young people these days, when they talk to each other on WhatsApp, they are vicious to their friends. Yeah. In a way that I, I, I just had no idea that this was the way they were communicating. And I I have to say to them, like, I'm going to read this out to you now as an adult. How do you feel about it now that I'm reading it out? And imagine if it was read out in assembly at school. And that it's, like, harrowing. It's a good lesson for life, that is. It's good,
2: but also it's a bit sad because all my relationships um, with my husband, my friends they're all really, I think, really good relationships but they're absolutely founded on being absolutely vile to one another. Oh, 100%, so
1: it's a love language. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so so we'll just say terrible, terrible mm-hmm. things to mm-hmm. each other and then sometimes they go, well, that's a career ending conversation if somebody picks up my phone oh, and reads God. that and it's just somebody I really love being Oh yeah, me and my girlfriend, if anyone were able so to read badly. our
1: WhatsApp group, which I'm sure China is but, yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, I mean the amount of stuff that we have said to each other in there, I mean the idea that I I'm supportive of women, would be out of the window. Yeah. Completely and yeah. utterly.
2: Totally that. There's no
1: totally feminism that. in it whatsoever.
2: Totally that. And also, within my marriage, it's just like, I can't say, oh, shut up your bag, like, yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just sort of shouting at each other. And I think it, if half my texts were read, people would think I just had the most terrible relationships and friendships, yeah. when I think quite the opposite. is true. Yeah,
1: it? well, quite in fact, in the, in the little VT that played about me writing a letter to my husband, he wouldn't read that letter because, you know, it says nice things. Yeah, and, exactly. Exactly. He would not know how to behave exactly. if, uh, if we were being nice to each other. It would be awkward. Yeah. How would we continue
2: with exactly our relationship that.
1: thus far? So, uh, have you got any letters that you have kept, pre- precious letters?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, the of my job, I get sent quite a lot of letters and cards from quite glamorous people. Oh. So, I, so, I have cards from, like, you know, Mr. Tom Ford, or I've <gasps> received... Flowers from Donatella Versace or, you know, thing, I get lots of those things. But when you work in my industry, those are less meaningful, perhaps, than they would be to someone outside the industry. I mean,
1: I got a um, postcard from Edward Ennenfall from, from Vogue and it's literally next to my desk because yeah. I'm like, look how cool I am.
2: So I, I, get, I get a fair few of those. However, I think um, the most meaningful, the most kind of noteworthy letters I get are from readers. So I got one from the Attorney General of Ireland saying that she was obsessed with my column and now uh, obsessed with beauty and had discovered beauty in a big way. The Republic
1: of? Yes. Good, because I've got some quite serious beef with the one in Northern Ireland. No, this was definitely...
2: It was a hick, anyway, he's a hick. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. is definitely Southern Ireland. Um, And, no, she sent me a brilliant letter, really, really long. It was like a really great letter. She sounded really cool. And then I wrote a piece for The Observer a couple of years ago about things that are better when cheap, things Mm -hmm. that are just much better when cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I put in there was um, a pot noodle, and a a man called Michael wrote to me, um, sent me a very long letter saying that he and his mates had invented the pot noodle. And, oh, my God. Yeah, and then he said, um, I hope you don't mind, but uh, we've put together a little pamphlet on how we did it. Would you like it? So I said, I actually would, yes." So he sent me that, and then we, had, we struck up a little correspondence, me and Michael, who invented the pot noodle. And then he, um, he wrote to me a few months later, very sadly, and said that one of his colleagues who'd co-invented the pot noodle with him um, had passed away, and I was genuinely really sad. I felt like I'd been on a pot noodle journey with them. Oh, my God, that is amazing. It is, is amazing nice the things man. that
1: will impress you, though. Like the, and, and the people who don't get heralded uh, and aren't the Tom Fords of this world or uh, the Donatella Versace, who actually, when you come across... Like, my mate Caroline uh, was telling me about how um, when she was a kid, she had to wee on loads of sticks because her dad was one of the scientists who invented the pregnancy test. Wow, And I
2: that's was like amazing. that.
1: Oh, my God. Like, this is... She was always not pregnant. It's an orcs if it's your dad, isn't it? Like uh, she's a I, lesbian, so that is—it <laughs> would have been unlikely. But, uh, but the—that um, the, like, is—I was like that. That person is literally the world's leading hero in my in my. Well, that's mind. the thing.
2: I have a huge amount of respect um, in in fashion for fashion designers and in the creative arts i'm not diminishing that at all however who's given more to the world oh, tom ford or the guy who invented the pregnancy test and the pot noodle, noodle. those
1: these things things have gone guys together guys. i feel the
2: impact on kind of culture as
1: a whole yeah. is significant absolutely I mean the pot noodle, I can't imagine that it ever didn't exist and someone had to invent it, that is what is funny about so it. So he
2: told me they, he told, Michael his name is, uh, he told me that they invented it from scratch to brief almost, that they wanted to make this 60 second snack, this hot snack you could, no microwaves when it came out of course.
1: Of course. Yes, so just it was um, a
2: 60 second hot snack. Do you think
1: though that nowadays that we have like, you know, a whole selection of different instant noodles that still pot noodles are the best?
2: Well, yeah, that was the point I was yeah. making, because actually you can buy quite a posh version. Like
1: Shin Ramen? Yeah,
2: yeah. you can buy a posh version now. You can get an itsu noodle pot in supermarkets. Yeah, and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my point was the pot noodle is best, because I'm a vegetarian. Did you know that all pot noodles are vegetarian, whether they're meat-flavoured or not?
1: I mean, there you go. So, so you can
2: have the chicken one, the beef one. If you're a vegetarian, you are golden with a pot noodle. I mean,
1: you're golden like this. wonder with a pot noodle. I feel noodle. like we might get sent some pot noodles now after this <laughs> podcast. I, I would welcome them. My children love a pot noodle. Uh, yeah. I haven't eaten one for quite some time, I have to say. Um, but I also think um, cheap white bread is fair when it's cheap. Well, if you're uh, having a chip sandwich. If you're definitely. having a bacon sandwich. what my, yeah. my husband is often very decrying the fact that you can't get good coffee and a cheap bacon sandwich in the same establishment. You can only get shit coffee and a good bacon sandwich, or good coffee, and like a sourdough bacon sandwich, which is rubbish.
2: Yeah. (laughs) The other thing is pasta. I mean, I could go on about this subject, (laughs) but, like, unless... Nonna made it with her own bare hands this morning. Get yeah. dried because that stuff in the packet in the supermarket and just the fridge, It's just eggy slop, isn't yeah. it? Yeah,
1: like I agree. Pasta, definitely. Yeah. Dried pasta is yeah. way better. Yeah. Um, I'm going to now all the way through this conversation think. You're going to go. And I'm gonna, oh, and add another one that yeah. is better when Cris- it's cheap. Yeah, crisps. Yeah, crisps. Revolting. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Crisps are better. Yeah. The best ones are like you know the, the own brand onion rings from like the one stop. Ah. Uh, and <laughs> uh, no, a bob. Bobby's onion ring, Bobby Londis, yeah. Bobby's from Alondis. You can't the burger bites, you
2: can't beat it. Yeah, it's a hard agree. Yeah, very, very, very good. Those Prosecco crisps that come out at Christmas. What the hell is wrong with people? Why must everything be Prosecco flavoured?
1: Yeah. I've even gone off Prosecco flavoured Prosecco, like because everything is. I think you mean Lady Petrol. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) oh God, there's nothing worse, (laughs) is there? Oh God, when something goes like that. It's like, I was listening to a podcast and they said, do you remember when caramel used to not be salted?
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, yeah. like,
1: that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Mary is the
2: bunny, that's a caramel. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, right then, so I have asked you to think about three people that you would like to send a letter to. Uh, and the first one is the person who means the world to you. Obviously, I'd like to say the caveat that I always say is that if you pick one, when you pick one person, that doesn't mean to all the other people who also mean the world to you that you hate them and wish they were dead.
2: Uh, yes, nobody in my life will think that I love them any less for choosing this person, um, and also my children and husband love her too, so that's great. <laughs> um, So the person I'm going to choose is uh, my friend Julia,
1: Okay, Julia. Tell us a bit about Julia.
2: So, Julia is... Uh, so, I ran away to London when I was 14 uh, from South Wales. And I came to London... One of th- There were many reasons I came to London. Partly I hadn't been to school in ages, partly because my mother and I had a terrible relationship, partly because I couldn't wait to be an adult, but also partly because um, I was going out with a man. Mm-hmm. who was 26.
1: Yeah, that, that is... Can I just say, whilst that obviously still does happen...
2: happens all the time. I have yeah. to
1: say, there was... It, the, the level of acceptability of 14-year-olds going out with 20-year-old men who'd pick them up in a box or, or outside of school when I was a kid... I like to think it's it's less socially acceptable whilst it is still happening. It's got a name now, well, think, which yeah, it didn't have then, I think. I think, now you
2: could call the police, which wouldn't, oh, which wouldn't have happened then. Oh, 100%. Um, nobody called the police. Nobody came to get me. School didn't do anything. Anyway, so um, it was one of lots of other reasons I came to London, but nonetheless, I came uh, to London to be with him. And he lived with... A woman who was his landlady who lived in a housing association flat who rented out one of her rooms to him and that was Julia and so I moved in with them she didn't know I was moving in he didn't know I was moving in I borrowed 20 quid off my brother got on a train paid 12 pound 50 for my ticket arrived at Paddington walked around to their flat in Paddington moved in and um, she and I became incredibly close, incredibly quickly. She worked at a record company. She worked at London Records. She was 27, I'm going to say, 28, something like that. Um, and she and I just got on like a house on fire. I am a good cook. She mm-hmm. was a lousy cook. Mm-hmm. And so I just took on the cooking in the house, which she loved. So she, I had no money, so she would do some food shopping on the way home. I would cook the dinner. We were both into the same things we just made each other laugh we got on like a house on fire and so when i was 16 i finished with him Mm -hmm. i dumped him and she just immediately said when are you going to him
1: so you you basically took over his tenancy i took
2: over his His tenancy. tenancy yeah so she booted him out Some years later, probably about a year and a half after that, I moved into, and this was under um, a Tory government, actually. I was living in Westminster. David Cameron got rid of this, but even though I was very, very, very young, I was entitled to housing benefit.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't be now.
2: wouldn't be now. So I got housing benefit from Westminster Council, and I got a flat around the corner. I had no other money, so Westminster Council... um, didn't believe that I had as little money as I did. And they basically encouraged me to lie and get my brother to write a letter to say he'd give me £10 a week, otherwise they couldn't make it work on paper. That's how I was. So I moved into this flat, and my brother came round one day, was just visiting, went to make a cup of tea, and I had literally just no food at all. And there were were prostitutes. There was a brothel in my building. It was just all quite bleak. I had nothing. And he went home and he told Julia. And... um, Then the next thing I know, Julia rings me and says, can you please come round and cook me dinner? I haven't had a decent dinner in ages. Tell me what you want from the supermarket and cook me dinner. So I said, yeah, fine. So I went round and cooked her dinner, and on the way out, she said, oh, you've got some post here. And I said, oh, thanks, I took the post. I got home, and I went through the envelopes, and there was a blank envelope, and I opened it up, and there was £100 cash in it, Mm. which I'd like. It was so much money, so, so, so much money. And that's just one example of how amazing she is. And it's not just me. This is the reason she's so amazing. It's not just me. For years, she ran a scheme, a government scheme, where she would help people from disadvantaged socio-economic backgrounds into the media and the creative industry. So really, really talented kids from council blocks mm. and who had you know, difficult, chaotic backgrounds. She would get them into the industry. And quite recently, I was doing the promotion for this latest book. I was doing a shoot for The Guardian and there was lots of set design. They were the most incredible, beautiful, amazing sets. And there was a woman who was building the sets. She was a black woman of around 40. And she just, she was so talented. I looked on her Instagram. She'd done jobs for Dior and Nike. And she was obviously like the dog's bollocks mm. at what she did. And she was tending to me on set, like, you know, bulldog clipping my clothes again, whatever, and she said, oh, you're Julia's friend, aren't you? And I said, Yeah, do you know Julia? And she said, Well, this is why I do what I do. Aww. And she said, Julia made made my career. She said, not just professionally, but personally, she made me feel important. She made me feel like I could do it. She made me feel talented. And she told me to do this. I actually wanted to do something else, but she said, No, you should do this. And that's why I do what I do and she then had an assistant with her who was like a normal but deeply yeah. talented girl who had got that opportunity because of this woman who'd got the opportunity because of julia and she's done that i've been in so many work situations where i've met a stylist or a photographer mm. or a director and they're like oh yeah julia julia got me into the she's industry like a fairy
1: godmother and
2: do you know what not to, not to be too political because that's not the point of why i love her but um the very first the very first round of cuts David Cameron made in his first week with that scheme and it's gone and um, when I think of all the people working in McDonald's or whatever who are so incredibly creatively talented mm. that she would have plucked and pushed forward that would have enriched the culture of this country the tax of this mm. country who are still. In, like, McJobs, b- because the, he got yeah. rid of that scheme straight away. But she.
1: Fastest growing, if, you know, if we're in Birmingham where it was declared they wanted growth, growth, growth. The fastest growing industry in uh, the UK and certainly one of our greatest exports is the creative industry. So cutting it like that is very, very frustrating. It fucking was the stupid.
2: first round of cuts he made when David Cameron won his mm. first election and she lost, she was made redundant like immediately. But she still does amazing community work now. She still helps people for a living. And one of the reasons I love her so much, and she's so, so, so proud of me, I still see her all the time, um, she ended up getting together with uh, my brother, so they're two kids. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. So they're two kids of my nephews. Um, and I still see her constantly. She's godmother to my kids and everything i still see her constantly but one of the things i love about her so so much is that um when i do something nice for her she literally never <laughs> argues because she's just like because there's like a really brilliant understanding yeah. between us that we don't need to do this obviously i'm going to do this for you and yeah. obviously because look at everything you've done for me and it's not this kind of faux oh humble. you don't need to worry no, she yeah. completely accepts it so like when i got married it's
1: nice and rare
2: it's really rare mm. and so when i got married uh Catelyn and Lauren organised my hen weekend. It was like a really posh, well, not posh, but quite an expensive hen weekend. And I told Julia, and she was like oh, right, okay, and I could tell she was thinking about the money, and I said, obviously, obviously, I'll pay for you, and she was like, cool. <laughs> never, she would never, ever, ever go, oh, are you sure? You know, she got go, cool, and, that, and I love that about her, because she knows yeah. she deserves it, and even if I was never in a position to do nice things for her, which I make a point of doing all the time, she would still have done it, and she would still do it now. And she's just like one of life's most brilliant, brilliant giving people. And she'll be so chuffed that I've mentioned this because she loves you as well. Oh, ah,
1: yeah. bless Julia. She yeah. sounds excellent. Yeah. <laughs> she can send me hundred pounds in an envelope yeah. if she wished to. Yeah. Obviously, as a politician, I don't take envelopes full of cash. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just FYI, uh, for the record. Not, don't just don't write it down. Don't say it in a public forum. Uh, not a lesson I've learnt very well. So, do you obviously, she knows how much she means to you. And you. And now she's a member of your family. I mean, she's that is lovely. She's been a member of
2: my family for decades now. So, I'm 47. I've known her since I was How 40. did you feel when
1: she got together with your brother? I've got three brothers. And every time one of my mates gets together with them, I feel a little bit like, yes, you're too good for them. No. But, I mean, my friends are too good for my saw brothers. Saw
2: yeah, unfortunately, I saw more than I wanted to accidentally. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a catalyst for me moving to the Housing Association, to so the Housing Benefit Flux. Um, no, it's great. And, um, yeah, she's absolutely a member of my family um, and will always be a member of my family. And nobody could enter my family unless they loved her because she is an unmovable, unshakable thing. And she comes lock, stock and barrel with me She's the most loyal, amazing, clever, generous, smart, funny person. And even when we get on each other's nerves, it's just one of those things that... Uh, she shouts too loud at the football, it drives my husband mental. So she <laughs> she's obsessed with football, she comes to the house, she screams at the telly, and we just look at each other and it's like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, well, she sounds excellent. How would you sign off a letter to, to Julia?
2: Thank you to the mother I never had, I suppose.
1: I mean, I was going to say, it does sound like that. that is... Even though now you're saying she was probably only like 13 years older than you. So uh, she's
2: 61 now, yeah.
1: When you're 14, people who are in their 20s are elderly, aren't they? I mean, let's face it, uh, and seem incredibly grown up and glamorous. It does sound immediately like, you know, you basically moved in with somebody who was going to be your mum, where that had not been the case.
2: Yeah, and she just, yeah, she she didn't let bad things happen to Mm. me on her watch, so that meant quite a lot
1: yeah absolutely. We all need uh, you know especially I admit lots of people who don't ha- who have questionable relationships with their parents uh, and the difference between a person who has trauma in their childhood and survives it and those that don't and end up uh, with difficult coping mechanisms the instigation of a trusting adult in their life usually like uh, there's a moment where somebody bears witness to your life and that's the difference and so, i think a huge difference can be made by just somebody saying i see you i believe you i think you probably had crap things happen to you it's like yeah she knows all
2: the crap things yeah yeah, it's a it's
1: a golden moment if you can ever be that adult for somebody So, the second letter I asked you to think about was to somebody who's no longer with us. So, who would that letter be to?
2: So, this letter is going to be to my great-grandmother, Ma. Ma? Ma. What was
1: Ma short for?
2: Um, She was just called Ma by everyone in the community, because she was just like... Somebody's mum. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, that wasn't her actual name. So,
2: my great-grandparents were called Ma and Pa.
1: (laughs) Do you actually not know what their actual names were? Because I, I was, do,
2: but I don't want to say. I because
1: was it, asked my husband when I was writing a letter to his nan, a yeah. Christmas card to his nan, what is her name because she's not my nan and so I want to write her name. I just want to write her name on the envelope as well. And he was like, I don't know, nan?
2: Like, he genuinely know, didn't know I what her think, name was. I think women know their
1: writing Yeah, because <laughs> they no, so. no, God um, rest her.
2: They were called Ma and Pa, but Ma was called Ma by everybody. Not and just by us. She
1: was your great grandmother. So she
2: was my, my maternal great grandmother. So she was my grandfather's mum.
1: She was your grandfather's mum. Did she have her children quite young and then did your grandfather have children quite young? Well, everyone did. Yeah. So I going to say because most people don't get them. Most people yeah. don't get great grandparents. I had one for about four, four years. Yes. Yeah, most so people I don't think, get
2: them. I think Ma died when I was about six. Yeah. So I wish I had seen a lot more of Ma, but Ma was sort of legendary in our community and in our family. There were loads of like really amazing things about Ma, and my brothers and I talk about her quite a lot. She was a really special figure. So, for instance, Ma... So, bizarrely, I didn't know this until I knew I was coming here and I Mm -hmm. rang my brother to check some facts. Ma, it was from Birmingham, which I had no idea. So Ma was from Birmingham, somehow ended up in the South Wales valleys in a place called Abercan, which is, was a really, really poor area of South Wales. She married my great-grandfather, who was a colliery blacksmith mm-hmm. and couldn't read. Ma could read and was obsessed with books. So they lived in this tiny house in Abercan and they had six living children. They had more, more children, children, but yeah. like everybody then, some died. So they had six living children. My great-grandfather was illiterate and a colliery blacksmith. Ma obviously just brought up children, that was all she did. And they lived in a place where nobody, literally nobody, went to university. All six of Ma's children went to university, studied sciences, and two of them went to Oxbridge, one of them winning a science prize.
1: So your grandparents and your great-uncles... Your granddad all went to university. So every that single one seemed, of them went to university. I mean unfathomable nobody to me. Nobody
2: in Abercan went to university. Nobody, nobody but also knew just anybody. A
1: generational thing. Nobody that is a phenomenon.
2: It's unbelievable. And so this made her this sort of Wise woman in the community. So she was obsessed with books, she was a voracious reader, she was incredibly religious, as most women in South Wales were. Incredibly religious, but all of her children entered the sciences and engineering, which I think is quite interesting. Lived in this tiny, tiny house. She obviously didn't work, she just looked after them, mothered them, and did all the reading for her husband and all of that. Um, had these incredibly clever kids, but also she was like a real character. My parents adored her, absolutely adored her. My father, who obviously married into the family, just thought she was the greatest Mm. person he'd ever met in his life. Um, She was... So, for example, one of my aunties moved to London after my great grandfather died, Ma visited her in London. She was at uh, work. She came home after the first day at work, and literally all of the community in London knew Ma suddenly. Like mm-hmm. everybody knew, Ma and was obsessed with her. Um, she did. The, she did these other things. Like um, my my grandfather was. Routinely unfaithful to my grandmother. All these people are dead now, and Mm. I spoke to my brother about my grandfather
1: was a dreadful rogue. Yeah, yeah. I liked him. He was was, a horrible. I adored him, but
2: I think put you, you know, not not a good husband in that regard. So he was always having affairs. So when Ma moved in with them, because she would never confront him in front of my poor grandmother, because she didn't know if she knew what she would do, is whenever my grandfather fell asleep. So if my grandfather fell asleep in the chair. Or if Ma woke up in the middle of the night for a wee and went into his room and he was fast asleep, she would stand over him. She would wake him up, wake him up, and he'd be like, What? And she'd go, Tired, Eve, son. <laughs> Always. Like every single time she caught him sleeping for years, she would just wake him up. Well, what? It's like, it's like literally like yeah. torture. <laughs> That's so horrible. And then, no, I mean, he um, deserved it. Yeah, I'm with uh, Ma. 100%. <laughs> And my, my last memory of Ma was uh, when she was dying. I didn't know she was dying, but when she was dying in hospital, my brothers, my big brothers, Win and David and I, went to visit Ma. And uh, they had these, like, plastic cowboy pistols, you know, like a big bag of mm. cowboy pistols that kids used to play with then. And uh, they were shooting Ma in hospital, you know, they were shooting. And my grandfather came in and said... Don't, don't shoot Ma, don't shoot Ma, stop it now, boys, put them down. The boys were like, mm, sorry. And I remember sitting there and Ma just pulling up the sheet of her hospital bed with a gun in her hand <laughs> and, was just her, and, and was just shooting my brother's back. She was so completely ace and terrifying. And I grew up being told by people that you didn't know if she was going to kill you with a cooch or kill you with her eyes. <laughs> and she was just one of those people who was incredibly warm, affectionate, wise and also terrifying.
1: Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of women from that generation who had that sort of like terrifying but could be like you know the, the most generous, generous people, but also hardest
2: slap. Do not mess. Yeah, like, absolutely yeah. do not mess. There's, this, you know, there's a thing in Wales that you say, oh, God, a Welsh man face, because Welsh mm. man face will kill you in a bit. <laughs> Like, it's the most terrifying thing you can ever see, is a Welsh man face. Like, people just run away from these women when they put that face on. And Ma's resting face was that.
1: To so have all six children... So I remember when I went to university... There was a, a woman who lived with me, and she she was from uh, like she'd she'd been to a private school, um, but she was she wasn't like really posh. She was from Lewisham or Greenwich or somewhere. Like she she didn't sound that posh or anything. But uh, there was another girl who went to Cheltenham Ladies' College who lived with us. She was proper posh. She'd never seen a doner kebab. She literally was like, "What is that?" In the inn? she was like, "What is that like thing?" And I was like, "It's a Donna kebab." But for ages, I was like, "I don't know what you're pointing at because I had no concept of <laughs> the idea that somebody had never seen a doner kebab." Yeah. I was like, "That what do you?" what are you pointing at? Um, but she, I remember her nan, this, the not so posh one, used to send us postcards to our house from like Goa and things, uh, and I had no concept before that time that anyone's grandparents could be posh or educated actually, really, like, like, uh, yeah, like uh, I'm from my parents are from the sort of baby boomer generation where they went to university sure. and went to further education. And both my parents but the the, the 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 one above, like that just I, I had no concept that people's nans didn't just that, that 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 existed. So the idea of people from a small Welsh town where six of them have gone to university my grandfather actually went to art school uh, it was a bit like going to university um, but he had lots and lots of sisters and th- they wouldn't have gone the idea that you would have six she must have been a
2: phenomenal tutor to them. It's it's absolutely mind blowing to me because none of them went to school with anyone who went to university well, yeah, and, we and and so have, you? your mates didn't go to university, the kids on the street didn't go to university and no. so for all six of You to go um, and study at a high level, she must have just spent the whole time reading with them.
1: Yeah, she must have just like that. Is that I mean, you would think she was some sort of witch, wouldn't you? If you lived in the village, which
2: I think is yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, you would think though. What is she? People would talk
2: to me about her all the time through childhood. Obviously, all these people are dead now, but people would say to us all the time, Oh, well, yeah, that's Ma, that's because of Ma, witchcraft, yeah." yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's seriously impressive. Yeah. At a time when that would have been totally and utterly without without the question. It must have
2: been such a bizarre sight to see, you know. Yeah. They only had two bedrooms. Like, where were they studying? What were they doing? You know.
1: Yeah. Jeez Louise. Well, Ma sounds pretty uh, impressive. And she died when you were six, so you... I think
2: I was about six, yeah. And everyone was just devoted. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, how would you sign off a letter to, to Ma?
2: I think I would say thank you for ultimately giving me the life you could never have had yourself.
1: Yeah, it seems like she could have like split the atom, or like, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, what was she? Yeah. Like, I, I, my husband once said to me after, yeah, when Sarah Everard died, um, and all everybody started talking about all those micro things that women have to do constantly like to keep ourselves safe, yeah. all the things that we have to think about and the time we have to spend thinking about our own safety and, and risk assessing things all the time. And he was like, gosh, the level of detail that you've put into this, you could have made a stop frame animation film, yeah. uh, feature-length yeah. Wallace and Gromit with the level of yeah. detail, and, or, or like made the Bayer tapestry. And the, like, that like, had she not had barriers, it just seems like she could have yeah. literally cured cancer or...
2: Totally. That's but, it, that's but, what you
1: worry about, the waste, when things are wasted. Yeah.
2: Think how many women had some massive, massive, immeasurable contribution yeah. to make yeah, yeah, yeah. to sciences or arts or yeah, yeah, academia yeah. or something, who just couldn't because they had to raise their six... Kids and do the reading for their husband. Yeah,
1: yeah. the other day we were watching uh, some, a TV programme with my dad and my brother was round and there was, they started talking about some library that had burned down in Alexandria and it had basically ruined, it took away all of the knowledge at the time. All the knowledge in the world at the time was basically lost uh, in this fire. And, like, actually, if you think about the knowledge lost over the generations of women who haven't been able like to achieve like the things we could have had uh, like the world could be amazing and it's the same with class it's the same with all sorts of different things like what are we
2: missing but that's why i think so many women of my generation and presumably our daughters i mean i don't have sons but i think women do carry this yes. i sort of carry this and think Pop- Partly what drives me forward is knowing that Ma poured everything into her children so that they could pour everything Everything into into their their children and it would ultimately come good. And in her case, it came good quickly. But I think you've got to kind of pay it forward and and honour
1: the huge
2: sacrifice those women made so that their girls and their girls' girls could have a life that they couldn't have.
1: They couldn't have. Let's just, well, you know, still there's still plenty of... Girls growing up in Britain today who have huge barriers and we won't know that they're the queens of the world and and that they could do all sorts of things. So, yeah, we all have to, everybody, take note and do your bit and try and find out the talents and push them forward.
2: Yeah, Um, and it's only because I'm here that I found out this week from my brother that Ma was originally a Bromwich.
1: I mean, I'm not surprised at
2: all. (laughs)
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: So the final letter I asked you to think about and the final person is somebody who doesn't know what an effect they've had on your life so somebody who has affected you but just wouldn't have any idea
2: so this one was really hard for me because i do i am quite good at telling telling people,
1: people. yeah that's good yeah i, do, I have to say me men are much better at answering this one when they come on the podcast yeah because they yeah, don't tell people so much yeah but lots of people say. lots of women say i find this really hard because i think yeah, i've told everybody i do
2: make a point of telling yeah. people and so I I had various options here, but actually the person who truly does not know, will never know, and simply would not care (laughs) about the absolutely huge influence and impact they had on my life is Madonna.
1: Madonna, okay, yeah. (laughs) Do you think yeah. she wouldn't care? I'm going to yeah, send her this. I doubt it. No, I, yeah. I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't no, have thought so. No. She's, uh, so. So, obviously, we all know Madonna. Yeah. Um, You're
2: familiar with her.
1: We're all familiar with Madonna. Yeah. Uh, she's got, you know, she's become famous latterly for good arms. But, you know, yeah. back in the day, she was everything.
2: So, I think this is really hard for younger women to understand. Mm-hmm. I, because there were so many kind of role models, I think there are more and more, thank goodness, Mm -hmm. female role models as time goes on. I was born in 1975. At the end of primary school, I was watching, or towards the end of primary school, I was watching TV with my granddad, the philandra, who I loved very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were watching telly and Madonna came on the telly for the first time in Britain. And I was just blown away. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Bear in mind, at this time, women on the telly were generally pointing at a canteen of cutlery. That was basically it. Women on the telly were either like...
1: You're absolutely right. My husband today, my son today in a vintage shop, bought a bullseye um, badge. And uh, my husband was saying, oh, do you remember when TV it was really awkward because Bruce Forsyth was stood too close to a woman. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it, it was basically, the women on the telly, Miss World was on, and the yeah. whole country watched Miss World and kind of marked these women in, swimwear's, in swimwear. There were women doing that at prizes or bullseye <laughs> or whatever. And... Um, and apart from Victoria Wood... So I fell in love with both Madonna oh. and Victoria Wood at the same time. Legends, both. Um, a- apart from Victoria Wood, Madonna... There were, there were no women who showed me that life could be different. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were no women at all who showed me that I could do something else. This woman crashes onto the telly, My grandfather and I were like, whoa, went into school, primary school the next day, said to everyone, oh, my God, did you see that woman, Madonna, on the telly? One person had, who happened to be my best friend, Linda Reese, who I still speak to now. And Linda was like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like it. And that was us then. We were gone. We are still obsessed to this day. And Madonna has impacted so many different things to women of my, or certain women of my generation. Mm. So firstly, she was the only woman I had ever, ever, ever seen talking about sex being a good thing for women. A
1: hundred percent. She used the trailblazer of people talking about women enjoying sex.
2: Well, in sex education in my school, literally nobody ever mentioned that women even had an orgasm. So they would just talk about not getting pregnant. Oh yeah. So a man has an orgasm and you must not get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Nobody, if you didn't read Just 17, you had no idea that yeah. sexual pleasure was a thing. Madonna was the first woman I had ever heard talk about sexual pleasure as being a thing. She was really, really, really ambitious. I had never, ever, ever seen women who were ambitious be fine about that. Mm-hmm. I think ambition's a really admirable quality. I especially she think right. it's admirable in women who are told they shouldn't be that. She was unashamedly ambitious and she made me unashamed to be ambitious. When I ran away from... Oh, she also looked however she wanted to look. It wasn't important to her to be pretty. No. She was just creative with how she looked. When I left home, and it was such a terrifying time and really scary for all the reasons mentioned before, the fact that I knew Madonna had left home with $25 and had been dumped in Times Square and had been fine was of such a huge comfort to me because I thought, well, Madonna can do it, so I can do it and I thought that about so many things and there are so many women in my life who say I did that because I saw Madonna do it, Madonna could do that she never cared about boys fancying her which was another really big thing Mm -hmm. so at the time you were kind of meant to just talk about how much you fancied boys and boys fancying you, she didn't seem to care who fancied her, she still doesn't care who fancies her. She's very much about the girls and the gays, Madonna, that's the point that's of it. That's absolutely her thing. That is the point of it. And when even to this day I find her inspiring, when I see, you know, Piers Morgan screaming about what she's wearing and she just ignores him for years at a time. And she sort of essentially now seems to exist to troll men who disapprove of how she looks. On um, the night
1: before, she married Guy Ritchie mm-hmm. in Inverness. Mm-hmm. I was sat in a bar in town, it was called Circo, it's no longer there. Um, it was, uh, it sort of majored on flavoured vodkas. Um, and in jelly or in liquid form? No, in liquid, it was absolute okay. vodka, like with Mars bars shoved in it, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a thing, it had a whole shelf. Um, and. We genu- and I genuinely put this down to the fact that me and my three friends were in there, and because we had. She had been so mainstreamed into our culture, almost like we believed that she was one of our friends. Yeah. We got in a car and we started to drive to Inverness as if we were invited to her. <laughs> I love it. Only like sort of halfway up the M6 did we think. It's the middle of the night. We're in a Vauxhall Nova or an Astra. Uh, this is probably a bad idea. Um, so we did turn back, because Inverness, it turns out, we didn't have Google Maps in those days, so you couldn't look up how, like, how long it was going to take. It's going like, Once we hadn't got to Stoke yet, and it was already <laughs> 2 in the morning, I think we were like, yeah, this is a shit idea. Let's turn around and not go to Inverness. But she felt like a member of our gang. Like, you know, you felt like Madonna was the she taught and it, but it didn't it was never like sort of like hero worshipy either it was just like she was always there and she was the one talking about things like way before the 90s of the sort of ladette like madonna was there being just a woman who got what she wanted the, did what she wanted there are
2: so many there are so many kind of trailblazing moments at one time the only mainstream people in the whole world who were talking about AIDS were Elizabeth Taylor, Madonna and Princess Diana. There were no men talking at all who were not gay men dying Mm. um, and lesbians caring for them. But in the mainstream celebrity world, um, Madonna, Elizabeth Taylor, And a bit later on, Princess Diana were the only people talking about the AIDS crisis. She was the person always talking about safe sex, the amount of work done about getting people to vote, young people to vote in America. She was the first celebrity banging on about the importance of voting. So trailblazing, and there hasn't been a moment in my life where I haven't felt Madonna's part of it, to the point where, and I swear I'm not deluded, I know that I'm never going to be friends with Madonna, but what you were saying about your friends, she sort of feels like a part of my family, family insofar as even when she does something that I don't like, I don't care because I kind of feel like with Madonna you're either in or you're out and I'm in.
1: I think that that's I think that's fine because
2: loads of people I love do things I don't like exactly all the time. That. And so sometimes someone gives me crap on social media going, Yeah, what do you think of what Madonna's done now or doesn't her Botox look silly or whatever and I'm just like, I don't care. Yeah. She can do what she likes. And I just Those I feel, of my friends look silly.
1: Do you know what I mean? All
2: the time. Also, also the fact that you're complaining about how Madonna looks in her 60s is proof that Madonna still needs to exist. If
1: I look like Madonna does now, when I was 15, I'd be pleased. (laughs)
2: Like... But the She's fact looking that, pretty the fact good that her face still is, still has the power to give heart attacks to yeah. a certain section of society proves to me that um, she should never go anywhere. Yeah. Luckily, dying is quite off-brand for her. Right? Oh,
1: I don't think she will. She, yeah. You know, well, my yeah. children constantly tell me this fact that the person who will live forever isn't currently alive, so could be her, Yeah, could be Madonna. I remember we used to have lodges um, and, like, sort of... Lots of wives and Australia used to come in and live in our house. And when the sex book came out, the Madonna sex book, which was in foil in bookshops, so you couldn't go and look at it. Unless you were interviewed by the
2: news queuing up for, for it. The,
1: the yep. sex book, the foil shop. Well, there was, was a man living in our Dillon's. house. Outside Dylan's. Dill- oh, Dylan's. I queued oh, outside Dylan's not exist anymore.
2: And a TV crew interviewed me and my friend.
1: Uh, I, um, we had a lodger at the time called John. He was going through a divorce. And he was one of the people who had... And so I remember me and my brother Luke being like, oh, well, you know, there's no way we could have afforded to buy the sex book at the time. Uh, We were children and being like... The only kids in school would be like, We've got the sex book in our yeah. because of John, yeah. the sad divorcee. Would
2: you all go around and look You'd at, look at it. it? It was like so exciting. We had the sex book. Um, Whole friendships of mine are built around Madonna because I've been to see Madonna obviously many times. I went and got a spray tan recently and found out that the guy who was spray tanning me has a Madonna fan account on Instagram. Now we just like everything each other does. <laughs> we're, we're now firm friends. James is named. And then my three of my best friends in the world, Jimmy, Marco and Leo, we all worked together at The Gap. And we worked in The Gap in the 90s and we are still incredibly close, speak to each other every day. And that entire friendship was built on all loving Madonna.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that she can unite... And world. never, ever,
2: ever, ever go out with a man who hates Madonna. So it's fine if he doesn't like Madonna, he's not interested in Madonna, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, but but there hate... is no greater red flag in a man <laughs> than going, I hate Madonna.
1: Oh, you are absolutely right. Please that are is a wrong-un. Yeah, if you yeah. hate Madonna, that is a really good red such flag. such a good...
2: Quality yeah. control. Yeah,
1: it's like mentioning filtration. Jack Karagrak in the first sentence. Jack Karagrak,
2: Charles Bukowski. Yeah, get, get out. to rest Thompson. Yeah, oh, get yeah. out immediately. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my hero is Chet Baker or Charles Bukowski. Out. Out.
1: Out. This, I mean, we are about to put up with this, so others don't have to. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid I've be
2: been there But yes,
1: not liking Madonna is a really good one. Both my children really love Madonna as well. My son. Oh, that's really a really love good sign. Uh, classic Madonna. Uh, they're they're big fans. So yeah, that is good. Thank God. Uh, phew. Um, I once
2: said to my friend John Niven, who uh, loves Madonna. I said, you know, many hate Madonna, they're, they're bad news. And he's like, never trust a man who doesn't want to hunt the big game. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what he meant. He was like, why would you fancy, why would you be chasing after yeah. girls who were, like, little people? He's like, surely you want to hunt the big yeah, game? Yeah, you, you want, want to hunt stuff? the big game? <laughs> you, want, yeah. you want to fancy the big, like, unattainable, massive character? That's I the also
1: fun. think that one of the things about Madonna that is so appealing is, certainly as, like, a sort of sexual partner... Is there's a chance i you know what i mean i yeah. i think that she gives off the air that like you know maybe doesn't have a type like you know i could go anyway yeah. like you're in with a chance if you ever yeah. get to meet her yeah. i think that like and as a friend as well like i'm not saying she's not it's not even like not not fussy it's like interested in the world yeah. is what i'm saying she feels like yeah. whereas there's some you think you know they're only going to go out with the absolute top. Drawer of people. I reckon Madonna likes it weird.
2: Yeah, and she, she's had some amazing like partners. Sean Penn Basquiat, she went out with Basquiat. Yeah, like really great people.
1: Yeah, she'd have some stories to tell.
2: Yeah, sadly, also vanilla rice, but uh, like I say, you're in or you're out.
1: I fancied vanilla rice at the time though, so. No, I
2: no. thought felt...
1: <laughs> I mean, he's in the book, isn't he? Is yes, Vanilla Rice yes. in the sex book? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember that there. Yeah. i got a triggering moment. of remembering Vanilla Rice yeah. in the sex book. Yeah, anyway, I still have my book. Yeah. I was... Like vanilla ice and snow. I I get those
2: two people Informer is a banger Informer is, is culturally a banger. Insensitive, I, think. I think so,
1: almost certainly. Times were different. That's yeah. my caveat to everything yeah. I say to my children. Times were different, times were different. Don't worry about
2: I always it. think would I play it on my radio show now?
1: Probably. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Uh, so how would you sign off a letter to Madonna?
2: Oh. Um I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I think that is what—that is all of us. That's essentially what we said to each other as we drove to Inverness.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> we are yeah. in... I it's don't think we late. knew where Inverness was. I, as if we're, we were going to
2: get anywhere near... I love that story. <laughs> I, really, I really, really love that. I'm going to tell all my friends that tonight. They'll be so happy.
1: Helen Rosser, she was always game to drive anywhere in the middle of the night. We went, <laughs> we, uh, uh, like when Princess Diana died as well, <laughs> similarly. The, like, these cultural moments... Had to be witnessed, and so uh, yeah, drove in the middle of the night to look at the flowers when Princess Diana died. Just very keen to drive in the middle of the night. (laughs) Um, I
2: get that. I like
1: a night drive. Yeah, like just like fuck it, let's go to Inverness. Not the idea that you
2: thought there'd be no security surrounding the castle. I know. I I genuinely don't know what we were thinking. It is total madness. I know the hairdresser who did that wedding.
1: Oh really? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I bet Nicola Madonna's Clark. friendship with them has lasted longer than maybe a friendship with yeah, Guy well, Ritchie. Yeah, Nicola
2: Clarke still does Madonna's. <laughs> well, there greats, you go. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, Madonna, what an icon. She is genuinely like an icon. I watched that Marilyn Monroe film, which I know has been panned, and I didn't particularly enjoy it. But um, there is something about how people get to be iconic usually because they die young. Uh, that's the sort of that's the way that sort of keeps you in that sort of stasis. But I think Madonna, it doesn't matter that she's now, we've decreed she's never gonna die.
2: That that is what that is one of the major things I love about her, the fact that she is a female icon when female icons have to be tragic to become icons that's it, yeah. and she's not tragic and people try and make her tragic by saying, Oh you can see her ass and it's like, Okay, well that's proof positive that she needs to be here.
1: Well, Sally, it has been a total pleasure listening to the brilliant women who you. They are (laughs) are all women from. You know, uh, I don't know where. Where's Julia originally from? Uh,
2: So Julia is a rare Londoner.
1: A um, rare Londoner. Parents. Yeah, I never meet them in London.
2: Parents, German Jewish immigrants. She's London. She's a
1: rare Londoner. Mark
2: Brummie turned South Wales. Madonna,
1: Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. Bay City, is the, I think it is. Yeah, Bay City, Detroit. I was going to say because the other two were from car-making cities, uh, but London is not a car-making city. So no. um, the amazing women that you picked, it has been a total pleasure talking to you, and you know I'm now going to like just think of all the millions of pieces of advice that I can text you at any moment. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye.